Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. You have to draw a line in the sand. You have to build some boundaries. Maybe I'm not the right one for him. Uh, I'm to a point where I don't want to try anymore. You are hurting yourself. This is something we see regularly. What is someone in your life fighting for? And how can you be there for them? On today's show, we are going to be talking about affairs. We talk a lot at Marriage Helper about affairs because we've worked with a lot of relationships that have been affected by affairs. And if you are in that situation where your marriage has been affected by an affair, then you understand how terrifying it can be. There's a roller coaster of emotions you go through from suspecting that the affair is happening to confirming that there's an affair. And then the time after that where you are kind of out of control as to what your spouse is going to choose to do. And so there's a ton of things you want to know. You want to know why it's happening. You want to know what you can do to get the affair to end and to get your spouse to come back to you. You want to know how long it's going to last. As humans, we want to know answers for everything. Yes, we do. Unfortunately, we can't always get the answers that we want. There's some basic information. We can share some principles, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that we can answer every specific question a person has because even though we know a lot about affairs, having read the research thousands and thousands and thousands of pages, having done our own research and having worked with thousands of couples, we know quite a bit. But even then, while there's some commonalities, they're also individuals. And so we can't always answer every question, but we can give some basic understanding. Absolutely. If you've been around the Marriage Helper community for any length of time, then you probably know what we teach about affairs. But if you're new, then we're going to give a short intro into that as well. So that's kind of where I want to start, Joe. What are the, briefly, the three types of affairs that we talk about in general are what? Mm -hmm. If you read different people, you can find out that there are a ton of different kinds of affairs based on how people want to divide them. We make them as simple as possible. Therefore, we call one the short-lived affair. That means something that primarily is sexual, has a very small, if any, emotional connection, and is typically about opportunity, like being in the wrong place at the wrong time, or vengeance, or ego that gets out of control, drinking, all kinds of subheadings to the short-lived affair. But those are primarily about sex. And then we have what we call the allowed affair, And that's when uh, there's what's called an open marriage. You can sleep with whoever you want to. I can sleep with whoever I want to. And typically those wind up badly over time. Uh, They can be exhilarating at the outset, but but inevitably, at least based on what I can read and see, uh, for most of those couples, it winds up destroying the relationship. And then the kind that we deal with most commonly, which we call Mm -hmm. the relationship affair. And that's Mm -hmm. typically one that didn't start off with the intention of even being an affair. Mm -hmm. It started off with friendship, exposure to another person, a lot of interaction with each other, um, 
the walls come down, meaning you start being self-revelatory. You start seeing inside the other person they see inside of you. That kind of trust is developed. And after a while, it crosses a line. And then by the time it turns sexual, most of those are full-fledged, deep emotional bondings. And, and that's what we call the relationship affair. Hmm. So that third one, that relationship affair, you'll see a lot of people refer to it as an emotional affair. Is that the same thing or is that different? Typically they refer to an emotional affair before it becomes sexual. Okay. Uh, like I had an emotional affair, meaning we didn't wind up having intercourse with each other, but that we crossed boundaries when it came to our relationship. So this relationship affair could be um, just emotional or it could. it could be emotional and sexual. Yes, most of them do actually go into the sexual phase and it's still intensely strongly emotional. Mm -hmm. Some do stop before that occurs and, and good for them. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's still not good that they did what they did, but at mm -hmm. least they didn't go that far. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. So that third type of affair, that relationship affair, is the one we are gonna be spending most of our time on today. And I wanna start off with warning about this. Please watch this whole video, this whole show to the end because with what we're going to be talking about today, you don't want to just hear bits and pieces and then try and put it together oh, yourself. Yeah. It can be quite confusing. It can be very confusing and could lead you to do things that you shouldn't do. So we're going to talk about all that. And a second thing, after you learn it, you better be careful with whom you share it. Absolutely. And we'll explain more in a few minutes about what that means. But actually, if you try to take what you learn and share it with the wrong person, it's going to make things more difficult than they are now. Absolutely. So we're going to give you tips on all of that, but that's why it's so important that you listen to this entire show. It's going to be really good. All right. So we're going to be talking about that. We defined what it is. So what we call the term that we use that we describe the relationship affair as is called limerence. Can you tell our viewers, some of them know about it, but to the ones who don't know what that word means, can you explain what that means? Well, limerence is the phrase we use when it gets to a certain level. Uh, it doesn't start off as limerence, but it can evolve into limerence. Limerence is a word coined hmm. by Dr. Dorothy Tenov back in the 1970s. And it describes the uh, act of being madly in love, quote, unquote. Uh, if you want to look it up on research, <laughs> it's like every other thing you research, there's all kinds of various and different views as to what it might be. Some still staying with what Tenov had to say, others evolving that, like Helen Fisher and her colleagues. Um, but basically, it's when a person becomes obsessed emotionally with the other person. At that point, we call it limerence. Okay, so not every relationship affair is limerence. Most of them get there. Okay. because of the relationship, uh, the deep emotional connection. Okay. But we don't call it limerence until it becomes the obsessive, okay. uh, like I am now obsessed with you. Gotcha. So if someone doesn't get to that point, but they have of that obsessive point, but they start having a relational affair, it could be easier for them to end it? Yes. These are the people that uh, typically because of their value system, okay. their morals, what mm -hmm. they believe is right, what they believe is wrong. These are the people that early on into it begin to realize what I'm feeling for you is not right based on my beliefs and values. I'm violating my marriage vows, for example, mm -hmm. and, and therefore I need to pull out of it. Mm -hmm. Now, if they can pull out of it at that point, they typically have not become obsessed with the other person. Mm -hmm. It may be a, a little obsessed with the other person, but not full-fledged limerence yet. And so, yeah, it is, 
Limerence is easier to end at the very, very beginning or at the very, very end. It's more difficult to end when you're actually in that process. Okay. Okay. So this, uh, my question has evaded me, but it will, <laughs> it will come back. I've always told myself if it was important, it will come back. <laughs> okay. Let's, so, let's hope that's true. Let's hope that's true. <laughs> um, okay. So this limerence, I remember the obsession that you talk about, mm -hmm. what does that look like? Well, uh, it's basically that, that the limerent object, the LO, the person that you're quote madly in love with, that person, uh, becomes the be all end all. Um, typically I would talk about it as having three phases, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, the first phase is infatuation. And the early parts of infatuation is when a person could pull out because it's like, wow, I know that I'm headed in the wrong direction. Well, like one guy told me once, I realized I had gotten on a train that had but one destination. It was either right it to the end or get off now. And so that would be early infatuation. As the infatuation increases, and let's just kind of do it this way, it's not linear, like boom, from here to here. It's more like this, if the person is already involved in a marriage. For example, two single people could go through the same obsessiveness that we call limerence. Um, and if those two people are not bad for each other, they might wind up married to each other and okay, that's fine. But typically, and it'll go more linear, but a person who is violating his or her belief system by being married to one, getting involved with the other, it, it tends, I don't know which camera to look at. I'm not being told here which camera to look at. That's but right. if, if it's going like this, it'll go like three steps forward, two steps back, those mm -hmm. kinds of things as it goes up and down. And in that process, um, get stronger and stronger and stronger. Mm -hmm. Then there's a phase two. That's what we call infatuation. Phase two is crystallization. And in that phase, the obsessiveness really begins to show. Late phase one, finally into phase two. And in phase two, there are certain characteristics. Um, you want to mention those now, or you want to ask more questions about that? Let's not get into that okay. just yet, but okay. you just briefly overviewed phase one, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Before getting into the all of these phases, so... Mm -hmm. When limerence is starting, as Dr. Beam is saying, there's these three phases that people go into. Now, here is the warning again before getting into these three phases. It's going to be easy for you to want to get obsessive in trying to want to figure out where is my spouse. And so here's what I want to talk about. Should people care? I mean, does it matter to know which stage is my husband or which stage is my wife in? In the sense that it helps you understand some of his or her behavior, then yes. Um, because it's like, okay, what's happening now is, is not just my spouse. Mm -hmm. uh, people who get into this stage or phase typically act like that. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, it can be helpful because it keeps you from freaking out. Like, mm, okay, this is known. Mm -hmm. we, we expect these kinds of things to occur, so I understand. But if you're trying to do it in terms of trying to figure out exactly how long everything's going to last, mm -hmm. like, for example... Uh, According to Fisher's work, Dr. Fisher, we know that limerence can last somewhere between three months and 48 months. It seems that most of the time it lasts 24 months or less, but from three months to 48 months. There can be some that are much shorter, some that are even longer, but those are extremely rare. So rare that statistically we call them an outlier. In other words, we see it, but we can't even measure it because it's so rare. The, the problem is when people try to figure this out saying, oh, that means there are this many months left before he or she's out of this. That's when it can be a problem because you start getting expectations that, that nobody should have. Like, 
one guy actually said, wow, we're 36 months into this, only 12 more months and we're out. Probably, <laughs> but you could be out tomorrow. Right. Or it could be a little longer than 12 months. So if you do it in trying to know exactly where he or she is so you can know exactly what's coming next, mm -hmm. that's not going to work. If you want to understand the general principles of each phase so that you can at least know, have some understanding of why he or she's doing what he or she's doing, then that's good. Okay. But don't let it confine you. Use it as a guiding principle of this is the way it goes, but also this isn't something I need to take as the uh, an absolute guarantee. Well, because of the fact that it moves. Like if right. you're going through phase one, that infatuation, and again, it's loopy, it's not a straight thing. And then it starts into phase two. Sometimes it can go a little back into phase one for a while, back into phase two for a while. And then over here, for example, when it starts coming out of crystallization, which is phase two, and starts going into deterioration, which is phase three, sometimes it'll get down here and then go right back up here again. Because we're talking about human emotions. Mm -hmm. And people in human emotions, uh, you can't predict everything he or she's going to do and when they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. The general principle, yeah, because if you know a person is really down here mm -hmm. in the sense that it appears to me that my husband or wife is in late deterioration, then some of the things you would do here, you would do based on the idea that they may be here. Hmm. Okay. But, but not trying to say, okay, exactly here, exactly here, exactly here, exactly here. Mm -hmm. The general principle is what you're looking for. Okay. Again, and I'm being redundant and I apologize. So that you know that based on what he or she's doing, other people have faced the very same thing, that it's not unique just to your spouse. And to know that what you're doing uh, is the wisest thing for you to do. Okay. Okay. All right. So we've talked about that stage one, which is infatuation, mm -hmm. right? All right, so in infatuation, we have the people are going into it. What are the main, again, what are those main things to look for in infatuation? I mean, I don't know what you're saying. If your spouse is, if you feel like your spouse is in an affair, then what are the main things that would let you know that's the stage that they're in? Or can you tell? I don't know that that matters. Again, it's, it's trying to understand that people are going to do certain things. Um, if they're closer down here, mm -hmm. the beginning, then they're going to make more uh, tries to stop it if it's in violation of their beliefs and values. So, for example, if, if your husband and wife came to you and said, uh, there's this woman at work, I'm beginning to pay a lot of attention to her, uh, it's going too far, and I've told her to quit calling me, etc., then you're probably relatively early in a phase one, and you'd want to be very supportive mm -hmm. rather than going, what, what, what do you mean? You're terrible, awful, evil person, because if he or she is open enough to be transparent to you there, they're asking yeah. for help. And if you want to save the marriage, you give help. You don't attack them. Mm. Now, as they get closer to the top of that is when they're going to be much more likely to hide it. Mm. And if you think that things are, something's wrong, for example, there's time missing. Uh, I don't know where she is. She disappears for hours at a time. Or my husband said he was working late, but I ran into his buddies and they said, no, we all closed up shop at five. Mm -hmm. uh, if there's money missing, for example, I don't know where that $100 went or that $50 went. Uh, and I'm not saying you try to watch every little penny every person spends. I don't necessarily mean that. But it's like there's significant gaps here. Something's going wrong. Mm -hmm. Or if the other person begins to be extremely cold toward you, uh, not willing to spend any time with you whatsoever at all, then probably is getting up closer to the crystallization phase. 
which means that he or she's probably not going to be open and transparent. What do you mean? If you confront them here, I know you're involved with somebody. I just don't know who it is. They're much more likely to lie mm -hmm. because at this point they're trying to hide it. You understand? They're trying to keep you from understanding that it's going on. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, by the way, people often say that's the thing that hurt the worst. He lied. She lied. I, I get that. I understand that. But what would you expect them to do? Right. If they're already crossing boundaries yeah. and, and if they're not in the early phases of it, then yeah, they're going to lie. Uh, if they get up here in the phase two, for example, you're going to see things such as they're going to start rewriting history, meaning they're not going to remember any good times with you. As a matter of fact, you're not everybody does this in phase two, but most do. They're going to vilify you. Uh, they're going to be saying bad things about you to other people. They're going to be saying bad things about you to you. It's, everything's going to be your fault if they're up here in the phase two. In the crystallization phase, mm -hmm. because what's happening up here is that they're going through some psychological things to help them do something that's in violation of their beliefs and days. Um, meaning that they're involved with this other person, they know they shouldn't be, and therefore, because of the cognitive dissonance, and we don't need to get into all that right now, but because of the cognitive dissonance, uh, they have to have somebody to live with themselves, and so you become the problem. It's all your fault. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and like I say, they don't remember good things about you at all, they tell you things like, I've never been in love with you. Back over in this phase, they may say something like, well, I love you like a sister, but I'm not in love with you. Up here, it's typically like, I've never been in love with you. Uh, I don't know why I married you or I married you for the wrong reasons. Uh, and they'll have the reasons, by the way. Uh, and, and so you become the bad person. They vilify you, rewrite history, all that kind of thing. And at this point, they're almost completely obsessed with the other person up to 85% of their waking hours will be spent thinking about that person. Hmm. They'll be uh, remembering things they've been doing together. Not necessarily sexual things, but other things. They'll, they'll be replaying in their, in their minds when they went to the lake together, that kind of stuff. They'll also be playing uh, elaborate fantasies about the future, uh, about what it's gonna be like when they finally wound up with him or her how great life's going to be when that happens. And they actually start putting details to those fantasies. And so that's why they spend up to 85% of their time thinking about the person up here. Now up here uh, is the most intense part. You wouldn't expect that to end that fast. I mean, at that point, just like it took a while to get there, it's going to take a while to get out. And even here, they're going through all kinds of emotional ups and downs because they're hypervigilant to the, to the L-O the limit hmm. object. And when they think the limit object is showing favor toward them, they're in ecstasy. Mm -hmm. But when they think that uh, the limit object is showing any kind of disfavor or displeasure with them, they're in misery hmm. because they're, and, and they're reading every little thing the other person does. Everything means something to them. Hmm. Uh, she did this, that means she's thinking that, et cetera, et cetera. And so they become hypervigilant toward the other person and they live in this tremendous fear they're not going to wind up together. And you're going to see that fear. Yeah. And, and again, so you're going to see a lot of emotions on their part, but not toward you. Right. Or even toward your children because they're focused on that other person. What are some of the things going on in their brain, like uh, chemical-wise? According to Fisher's work, um, which is interesting, they do some MRI work, actually mm -hmm. fMRI work, functional MRIs. Uh, dopamine's increasing dramatically which is an ecstasy chemical, a feel-good chemical, gives me a high. 
uh, serotonin is decreasing dramatically. Serotonin is a calming chemical. So they're actually very easily agitated. The emotions are as high as they can be. And, and uh, not just the good emotions, the bad emotions are almost as high. Mm. Um, again, that, that emotional roller coaster they're on because of the hypervigilance of thinking, what if he or she doesn't respond to me? Oh, they become extremely jealous, by the way, of the LO. What, what if he or he is around somebody else? What if they wind up loving them instead of me? Mm -hmm. So they're actually very miserable. People on this stage are very miserable, but also ecstatic. Mm. And it's, it's going like that. And so when you see a person and you think, boy, that's not the person I married. You're right. They're so confused with happening in their brain and emotions. Uh, they don't know which way is up, which way is down. Mm. All they know is they feel really good when the other person shows them favor. They feel really bad when the other person doesn't. And that's the focus of their life. And so if you expect to use logic and reasoning with this person, it's not going to work. Nothing you say is going to make any difference to this person whatsoever. As a matter of fact, if you attack the yellow, they'll defend the yellow with their lives. Mm -hmm. Nobody understands him or her like I do. But you also can't use emotion with that person. In what sense? If they're very emotional at this time, the things they're feeling, all of that kind of stuff, if you come to them very emotional to try and elicit guilt or some kind of feeling to come back to you, that's not going to work either. Their emotions are focused on the yellow. Right. Therefore, if, if they perceive you as trying to get between the two of them, mm -hmm. you become the enemy. Mm -hmm. Even if that's a six-year-old, like hmm. your six-year-old son comes to you and, and, and tries to get you to go back to mom or back to dad, uh, you probably won't react as intensely as you would toward your spouse, who is the true enemy, in your mind, in your mind, not really the enemy, but mm -hmm. the enemy in the, in the limerence mind. Uh, they'll react negatively toward the six-year-old as well. You don't mm. understand, you don't get it, you need to go away. Mm. Wow. All right, let's talk about phase three. So mm -hmm. phase two is crystallization, which mm -hmm. basically you named it that because these are your three stages. No, actually, these are th stages that exist in literature but not applied necessarily to limerence. Okay. So I've applied them to limerence. Um, infatuation is actually applied to other kinds of love as well. Mm -hmm. And in the outset, the infatuation phase of limerence is similar to the infatuation stage of other kinds of love. Crystallization actually was a term coined a couple of centuries ago in literature, um, having to do with seeing only the best in another person. Mm. But it's not really part of the psychological literature. It's more of, of a, well, ancient psychological literature. And so I kind of pulled that out of the attic, if you will, mm -hmm. dust it off the cobwebs and say, that really applies to this very well here. Right. And then deterioration uh, is the phase that I, that's the word I chose, that one I'd actually picked up on my own, uh, to be, um, it's going to come apart at some point. Mm -hmm. it, it can't stay like this. Right. It just can't. And so when it starts coming down, again, not linear, they're always messed up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but when it comes down, it's when some of the thing obsessing about the other person uh, begins to change. Uh, they may begin to see his or her flaws, which they couldn't up here. The other person was perfect. Um, they, they will begin to see as they get further down into phase three, down here somewhere, what they gave up, what mm -hmm. it cost them. Up here, they'll give up the world for them. Whatever I have to sacrifice to be with you, I will. Down here, it's, um, wow, 
I don't have the relationship with my kids I used to have because of you, or I lost my job because of you, or my reputation is gone because of you. None of that mattered up here. None of that mattered up here. Uh, I'll leave my kids for you. I'll leave my spouse for you. I'll, I'll leave my God for you. I'll leave anything for you. That's all that matters up here. But down at the end of phase three, some of those things come back to haunt you. Hmm. Okay. So in phase three, what will you see the limerent person do differently? They'll start pulling away from the limerent object, the LO, um, somewhere down in here. And, and the LO may keep pulling them back. Mm -hmm. They may actually keep pulling them back into phase two. They'll, if, if they're still deeply in phase two, they'll keep trying to pull this person back into phase two. Mm -hmm. um, but if they're not, if they're coming out of it as well, you'll start seeing them separate. They'll start going in different directions. Uh, this person still may not want to come back to you because up here they have vilified you. It's all been your fault. You're bad. You're terrible. You're evil. That's what they were thinking up here. Well, that's still in their conscience down here so that they may still not, not come back to you. Mm -hmm. And that's why we tell people don't think that when this thing ends, it necessarily means the other person is going to come home. Right. That, that there are actually things you should be doing that can lead this person back home. And that's why we also say, if the limerent object dies, I mean, just gets killed in a plane crash, it does not mean that your spouse is instantly going to come back to you. He or she may, but not necessarily because they have vilified you so much. There's still a process of things you need to go through to help lead him or her back to you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in, with all of that information, you said just before you started into that of, the real benefit of knowing those three stages is that it's a guideline for you to see maybe where your spouse is, why they might be that way, but it's also not something you should approach your spouse with and say, here's what you're doing, here's where you are, you need to know this. Some of the early stuff we put out about limerence, um, which was very accurate, yeah. And, and we, we have become more accurate, and, and a year from now we'll be even more accurate than now because we continue to learn about it. Mm -hmm. But some of the first stuff we put out, which was very accurate, people thought, oh, I just need to show that to my husband or my wife, and they'll see what they're doing, and they'll come home. People say that all the time. All the time. All the time. <laughs> One time I saw it work. Really? One time. I got read it and went, oh, my goodness. He called you, didn't he? Or he called us. Actually, he was in one of our workshops. Oh, okay. He was in one of our workshops. He saw it. Now, I have had people read some of my articles about limerence and actually call and ask for me saying, you've been reading my mail. You know what mm -hmm. I'm thinking or feeling. Yeah. But this guy actually ended everything when he first learned about it. Mm -hmm. So that's one out of how many thousands that's of people that we work lot. with? Many, many thousands. Most of the time. That's an outlier. <laughs> <laughs> Not the normal. <laughs> Don't get me tickled like my sinuses are going on. Uh, it's definitely a statistical outlier. Most of the time, if you try to show that information to your spouse, Mm-hmm. Uh, their reaction's got to be, you don't understand. Right. This is real love. Nobody has ever felt that way. Yeah. And what you need to understand is what they're feeling is real. It's a real emotion. And it's intense as all get out. And if they think you're trying to tell them that this is not going to last forever, they're not going to believe you because they're convinced it is going to last forever. Don't you understand? It's their fear that it won't last forever that makes it so intense. Fear intensifies passion. And so this fear here, like, oh, she or he is now reacting kindly toward me. I feel ecstasy. Oh, no, here she's doing something. I think they're rejecting me. I'm feeling misery. 
that's that fear that makes it so intense an emotion that's doing like this. And for you to walk in and say, oh, by the way, this is going to end right now, or it's going to end in a month or six months or whatever it might be, they're like, but don't you understand, everything I'm focused on now is making this last the rest of my life. I'm not about to listen to you that tell me it's going to end. And so even if I'm talking to somebody up here, I'm not going to have very much um, effectiveness in telling them that it's going to end because at this point, they do not believe it. Mm-hmm. Now, so uh, they'll just reject you. You don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you bring them to us or people like us, when we try to help them, they're already in their mind prepared not to believe anything we say mm-hmm. because you got that thing about limerence from us. Therefore, we must be idiots. Yep. And they won't listen to us. So the worst thing you can do is try to share this information with your spouse thinking it'll stop him or her. It's going to do actually more damage than good. You shouldn't be doing that because it's going to mess things up. Yeah, absolutely. We see that so, so, so often. All the time. And the whole description of it just brings me back to um, the way, (laughs) the experience I have with this is when I was a teenager and I was dating someone. And then I thought, this is it, we'll be together forever. And then when my parents or whoever would try and step in and say I couldn't date them or they wouldn't good for, or weren't good for me or whatever, it just made me put a wall between me and my parents. I mean, if you think of it in terms of a teenager, whether you were one that did that or whether you have one who's doing that, it sounds similar. It's that feeling. Actually, it is very similar. Um, typically, with the teenagers, we call it an infatuation because it's mm-hmm. more short-lived. Right. Uh, it typically doesn't last as long as it does with adults. Mm-hmm. That's why we don't typically talk about limerence with teenagers. Mm-hmm. We actually leave it at the infatuation stage. Mm-hmm. It seldom gets to the crystallization stage. Right. But, but yeah, it's definitely similar. Right. Just not as intense. Right. So here's one of the testimonies that we have of someone who has come to our workshop and it saved their marriage. This is from Jennifer. And she says, The Marriage Helper team helped me when I was in desperate need of sound, proven guidance that would help me, number one, get my life pulled together after it had been shattered, and number two, provide steps I could work through to do everything I could in hopes that my spouse would reconsider ending our marriage. marriage. I began with the Save My Marriage program. It gave me tools and a needed focus. I listened to every video clip from Dr. Joe and completed the workbook each week. I listened to the radio show and worked through the program steps and I was able to pull myself up enough from my initial despair to realize that I wanted to grow and improve myself so one day I could walk on the love path, hopefully with my spouse. I wanted to know the foundations of a strong loving relationship and learn how to increase connections that led to shared aspirational goals. Marriage Helper's information is rock solid. It is backed up by scientific research and the Marriage Helper team is the most passionate group you can find at saving and restoring marriages. I was also fortunate enough to attend the workshop with my spouse and it provided even more information that we use every single day in our marriage. I plan to send my daughters through the course when they are engaged so they can learn this information before they are married, use the tools to grow and enhance their marriage, and hopefully avoid the pain and hurt from unknowingly bringing destructive habits to a marriage relationship. Keep it up. Jennifer is awesome, and she'll be getting some of our I Love My Family shirts, 
We're excited to send those to her and some other goodies from Tennessee. We love, 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 love those testimonies. And for those of you who have children who are engaged, who are getting married, or know someone who is, we have a special price for our workshop that we have for engaged couples. So if that's something you're interested in, we want them to come through so that they, just like Jennifer said, can get the tools before something happens in their marriage. And And yes, they do come to the workshop Yeah, where we have a whole lot of people whose marriages are in trouble. Mm -hmm. And you say, really? Why? Because they get to see not only hear the principles, but they get to see how people can mess those principles up and also how they can work through problems and make it work well. I think it's the the best premarital stuff in the country. Absolutely. So many people, and I won't get off on a tangent, but so many people, they say, we did our premarital counseling and all they asked us was how many kids do we want and where do we want to live? And it's not that easy. (laughs) When you get married, as you all know, it's not exactly like bringing roses into the (laughs) rose garden. (laughs) It can be difficult. So we want to give them a real taste of it and let them see that marriages can work through things. Um, So it's absolutely, absolutely awesome. All right, Joe, we're getting back to talk more about limerence. So one of the things you said at the beginning of the show is knowing what stage someone is in helps you as the spouse wanting to save the marriage know what to do differently that might look different in stage one than it would look in stage three. No, if I said that, I was wrong. Okay. It does not necessarily mean what you do in stage one is different than what you do in stage three. Oh, good. It's going to be that it's pretty well the same thing all the way through. It's to help you understand that what your spouse is doing is not the first time this has ever happened, and it's Mm -hmm. not just your spouse. Mm -hmm. That is a commonality of people go through this process. But you pretty well are going to be doing the same thing all the way through, which is not pushing because when you try to push, mm-hmm. they're going to move away from you. That if they do decide to be open and transparent with you, and they're typically more likely to do it early or late, could happen up here, but not as common at all, more likely early or late. If they do decide to be transparent with you, you listen. You, you be compassionate. You try to understand that you realize that if you try to jump between the two of them thinking that's going to solve the thing, or you attack the other person thinking that's somehow going to make things better, it doesn't. That if you try to control the situation, it's going to get even more out of control as far as you're concerned. So it's about being a person that if you really truly want to save the marriage, and you realize you could just say, hit the road, Jack, don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more, in the words of the great philosopher Ray Charles. <laughs> or, or if you want to save the marriage, it's like, okay, this is going to be a process. This is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And through this process, I'm going to see my husband or wife do some things that are going to be very much like a jerk. Mm-hmm. They're going to say and do things that are going to be so self-absorbed. Uh, they idealize the other person, maybe even idealize the other person's children to the detriment of me or to the detriment of our children. They'll at points appear to be totally unlike the person I fell in love with and married. Well, if you understand all that's going to happen, if you want to fight for the marriage and you stay strong, we can't go through all of this here, but it's a thing called the pies. You can find that on our website, and Kimberly can tell you more about that. But you practice the pies for you, and, and you be that person that rather than attacking, you stay strong. Now, you stand up for yourself. You don't allow yourself to become a doormat. That's bad, too. So sometimes there's a fine line here between being the compassionate, strong one 
and being a jerk yourself, which you don't want to be, so that over here, when finally this starts coming out, which hopefully won't, won't take that long, but it could, that when it does, that your spouse begins to realize, wow, this is the person with whom I should be. Mm -hmm. This is the person that loved me no matter what. This mm -hmm. is the person that loved me when I acted like an idiot. This is the person that loved me when I was mean and selfish. And, and that is what eventually pulls them back. Mm -hmm. And we call that the love path. And I can't explain the love path here that quickly, but you pretty well do the same thing. All of this we talk about just to help you understand, okay, it doesn't mean things are getting worse. It just means they're progressing through the stages. It doesn't mean there's no hope. It just means he or she's progressing through the stages. Mm -hmm. So that when these things happen, you don't panic. Oh my, oh my, you go, hmm. Well, they told me that was gonna happen. Mm -hmm. and, and know that eventually this limerence thing is gonna end. Mm -hmm. It always ends. And you wanna be the person that when it does, that rather than your husband or wife saying, I don't wanna come back to you, that they do want to come back to you. Mm. Now, we can't guarantee that they'll come back to you because we don't lie. But I will tell you, if anything works, if anything works, this does. Joe, have you read the book or heard, know about the book, Love Must Be Tough, James Dobson? I have read it like 100 years ago. Yeah. Right. There was recently someone that um, was asking a question saying, okay, I get, I get the limerence thing, I get all of this, but I read this book, Love Must Be Tough, and basically, I've never read it, but the premise of it was you... You, if your spouse is wanting out, then you say, okay, and you cut off communication. I think this is right. And then they see what they're missing and then they'll come back. So is that what you do <laughs> in this as well? Do you take what we're teaching? Do you combine it and pick and choose some other things that are out there like that? How's that going to work for people? Well, you can do whatever you want to do. Yeah. I mean, it's your choice. Um, Dr. Dobson's an interesting man, and, and then the love must be tough concept. Um, actually, when I was doing the radio program uh, with, with him many years ago, I was actually told in advance there were certain things about we, what we teach that I couldn't say because they were in contradiction to what Dr. Dobson believed. And if Dr. Dobson didn't believe it, you couldn't say it on that radio show. Mm. Okay. So, I mean, it was his show, so I did it the way they wanted me to do it. I'm, I'm just trying to tell you that <clears throat> if you cut them off, Mm -hmm. which is you're right, you can do that. And you can move on with your wife if you wish. Why would they want to come back to you? Mm -hmm. You say because they're going to see what they're missing. If they're truly in a limit relationship, they're not seeing anything but that LO. Mm -hmm. That's all they're seeing. Now, are there times when you need to be tough? We teach that all the time. Yeah. You do not allow yourself to become a doormat. Right. You don't let him or her do just anything and everything they want to do. If it's going to be detrimental to you, or if you have kids, it's going to be detrimental to your kids. There are places where you just draw the line and say, mm -mm, no, not going to happen, etc." For example, if they get an attorney and they start some legal proceedings, we suggest strongly that you get a very powerful and strong attorney mm -hmm. and you stand up for yourself. You say, well, wait a minute. What about being compassionate and kind? Let the attorney be the gladiator. That's what he or she's for. Let them fight. Mm -hmm. And if your spouse looks at you and says, yeah, that just proves I should have left you a long time ago because all you care about is my money or whatever else it might be, you very calmly but strongly and gently, kindly say, hmm, I'm not the one who wants this divorce. I didn't start this. But as long as you proceed through this, my attorney is the one that I'll listen to because I know that he or she has my best interest in heart. Mm -hmm. You're still gentle, kind, 
but you let that attorney be powerful and strong. So are there places where you need to be tough? Yeah. But if you cut off all contact and say, go away, I think that's pretty well going to happen. That's be careful be. what you wish for. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I hope that you all are hearing this. If this is what your marriage situation is in, then there's not going to be a way you can guilt your spouse to come back. There's not going to be a way that you can cry or beg or whine or plead in just the right way or say the magical words that's going to break this thought in their mind, break these feelings, break this emotion, and just bring them running back home to you. No. That's not how it works. It takes day after day after day of consistent practice on your part of these things, of working on yourself, of being calm and gentle, which doesn't look like entering into fights with them every time you talk. <laughs> as a matter of fact, you avoid the fights as much as you can. Now, you right. still stand up for yourself. We're not saying that you don't, mm -hmm. but fighting with him or her, fighting with the other person, mm -hmm. it's not going to be to your benefit in most cases. No. And these things aren't easy to do. The concepts are easy, but actually implementing them into your life when you're feeling all of these emotions it's much easier said than done. So that's why we encourage you to get with our coaches. Our marriage coaches will, you, you tell them everything about the situation, whether your spouse is divorcing you, whether they're living in the same house, it doesn't matter whatever your situation is in. Our marriage coaches will walk you through step-by-step, step, okay, work on this part of it now. They'll help you get your emotions calmed back down. Um, I, yeah. I love being able to, when I hear the people who, when they're entering into coaching and they're just so tired and they're so hopeless and just devastated because everyone, their friends, their family, their pastor has told them that this isn't going to work to just let their spouse leave, let them be with the other person. There's nothing they can do. I just heard it again last week. And at the end of a conversation, it's, I have hope again. Thank you. And that's just the one session with our coach. And so I strongly recommend it. They will take you, we're teaching you that 80% of the foundational material, but the, our coaches take you that extra 20% of, okay, here's how you implement it based on your situation and where you are. And here's what you shouldn't say to your spouse. <laughs> and they'll ask you questions like, okay, if you do what you're planning on doing that you just told me about, Mm -hmm. What do you expect to accomplish with right. that? Now, again, we're not guaranteeing you that if you use our coaches, it's automatically going to make your marriage good and everything is going to be wonderful. Right. We just keep telling you that our system, if mm -hmm. anything works, if anything works, this will. We're not going to lie to you. We're not going to claim there's mm -hmm. a magic phrase or a magic action. Right. I mean, you can go That's all right. kinds of places on the internet, spend $49 by a video that will tell you exactly what to do. And if you say those words and do those things, your spouse will come running back madly in love with you. You do better off to take that $49 and give it to charity. At least then some good would come from it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's get into some questions. Okay. And if you have more questions about coaching, actually, you can find out on our website. You can go to marriagehelper.com. You can call us. We don't have anything about coaching yet on our website because it's relatively... Um, we haven't pushed it to the public until now because we we have a limited amount of coaches and they're already slammed, but we are going to be doing more of that in the future. So call us if you want more information about our coaching and you can find that number on our website or I'll tell it to you now, it's 
0990. Joe, one of the questions people ask a lot is, can limerence for the LO stop and then start again? Typically, it doesn't stop and start again. It may appear to. Hmm. What I mean by that is it may stall, hmm. but it doesn't really stop. It doesn't really go away. It just stalls for a while. And that typically occurs if the person is thinking, I shouldn't do this. This is against my morals, against my values. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be involved in this. Then it can stall for a while. Or if they get over here in, in a later phase and begin to see the flaws in the spouse and begin to have some troubles where they're arguing and fighting with each other, mm-hmm. it can also stall for a while, but, but then restart. It doesn't truly stop, it stalls. Because once the limerence is over and then some time passes, uh, according to the best research out there, it does not come back as limerence. Uh, the understanding of limerence in the research at this point is that it, can, it definitely can only be for one person at a time. It can't be for two people at the same time or more, just one. Now that's so obvious in the research. But the other is that once it truly ends with a person, it doesn't come back with that person. Mm-hmm. Now there might be a fantasy that comes back about how then they're just remembering the parts they like. Mm-hmm. They're not remembering the parts that were m- miserable and sad and hurtful. But so down here, they can actually start having some, some daydreams about the good parts. Mm-hmm. But it's not a reoccurrence of limerence. Typically, that point is because what I'm having over here is not very fulfilling. Mm-hmm. They don't get in limerence game with that person. They're just looking for memories and not even consciously doing so, but looking for memories to where at one time, though, I felt good. Mm-hmm. That happens. Okay. Good answer. Some other of the questions that have come in here, they're asking, okay, so if my husband is in or my wife is in stage two, where they're vilifying me, all these things, and because of their feelings towards me in this stage, they start the divorce proceedings then how, what is it that I can do? You mentioned getting an attorney, fighting for myself, but is there anything else to focus on at that time? I typically suggest that you drag it out Mm. because the longer you go, the better chance you get toward the end of limerence. Mm -hmm. But in the process of dragging it out, um, do the things you need to do. Like we heard one lady say, oh, that his attorney keeps asking for this, but I won't give it because Dr. Beam said drag it out. Well, if, if it's subpoenaed by the courts or asked for, dragging it out is not violating those kinds of things. You don't want to tick the judge off at you. That's not going to do you any good. Mm-hmm. Don't do things just to aggravate the other person thinking that's going to drag it out. It just means you don't have to jump every time the other person wants you to jump. You can take your time to think things through think and do things the way that are in the best benefit for you and, and drag out in that sense. Mm-hmm. Not in the sense of just ticking off everybody else involved. That's typically not a good thing. But they may actually wind up divorcing you. Now, I know you don't want to hear that and nobody wants that to happen. But if anyone listening knows my history, and when I was in phase two is when I divorced my wife, Alice. Then the limerence ended because it always does. For me, uh, thank God, it ended before I wound up marrying the other person. And, and therefore, I was still single. Uh, but I had so vilified Alice, I didn't come right back to her. 
As a matter of fact, I thought being alone still better than being with Alice because now, now I'm living a lifestyle like I'd never lived before. I'm going to nightclubs, I'm drinking, I'm doing a bunch of stuff like that, which I found uh, myself enamored of for a while. Basically, it was a way to cover my pain, but I didn't understand that, you see. But when I finally came to my senses, as it were, Alice had done all these things. Now, nobody taught Alice to do it. She just did it instinctively. She'd been strong and powerful. Her attorney stood up to me, all those kinds of things. She'd always been kind and gentle. Now, early, early on, she did the wrong things, mm-hmm. like almost everybody does. But after that, she was pretty strong and, and even, so that eventually, when I came to my senses, it's when I called Alice and asked if she would consider the possibility of taking me back. What I mean by that is we have couples come through our workshop often who already are divorced. Mm-hmm. And they're coming to see if they can put it back together mm-hmm. and to marry each other again. One couple had been divorced for 10 years. Another couple recently was, what, eight or nine years. So mm-hmm. even if they wind up divorcing you when they're up here, it doesn't mean it's necessarily over unless you choose for it to be. At any point, you can decide, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm going to move on with my life. And you have the right to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, I don't suggest you spend the next 10 years waiting for him to come back. That's not my suggestion at all. There is a point when sometimes you just accept what is, is, and you move on with your life. But even then, if you have learned and followed the principles that we teach, even if this relationship doesn't come back, and we we truly hope this one does, we're all about restoring marriages and making marriages stronger. We're not about trying to marry you off to somebody else. We really aren't. But if you do all these right things, if... God forbid, it doesn't work, and eventually your spouse winds up marrying another person, you now know so much more about relationships, about how to make wonderful relationships, that, that that's going to attract somebody really good into your life where you can have a good future with him or her. Now, again, that's not our goal for you, but it's, it's a secondary benefit if, mm-hmm. if this other person just never comes to his or her senses. We hope and pray they do. Mm-hmm. And our system is designed to help you get them to where they do. Is it common or typical that a person in the affair will want to file for divorce? Not unusual at all. Typically, if they don't, it's either because they don't have the resources, mm-hmm. like I can't afford to do that, uh, or because of the fact there's still some of the morality nagging at them. Hmm. Like, and often then they try to get the spouse to divorce them. Mm. They'll do everything they can, like, you deserve somebody better than me. Hmm. You need to be with somebody who's really good for you. I'm not. And, and they'll do those. That's one approach. Or they'll just be mean as a snake. They'll do everything they can to get the other person to divorce them, which if there's a vestige of the morality left up here. Now, the morality is going to come back, hopefully, at some point. Hopefully. But if there's a vestige left up here, then often that will keep them from actually going through with a divorce. Hmm. If the spouse who's in limerence starts sharing things with you, with the spouse, you know, the standing spouse, they start sharing things, um, what we would call bricks, Mm -hmm. which that basically means these are things about me that I don't have to tell you, but I'm taking a chance in telling you these things about my feelings, about things that have happened to me, all of these things um, in a way to try and uh, be open and transparent. Mm-hmm. So if this starts happening, does that typically happen in a certain stage or can it happen in all of them? It can happen in all of them, but it's more likely to occur early in stage one or in the latter parts of stage three. That's when it's more likely to occur. But who knows? It can occur at any point. 
You understand that, that because limerence is an emotion uh, and a very powerful emotion, it's quirky and it can vary with people. And so let's say a person's right up here in, in phase two, but they're doing this and now they go way down here. And when they're way down here, you're the person that's still listening. The person that's still safe. And so they may start sharing like crazy right here. Now, is it a good thing? Yes. But if they're really in phase two, then they still may go right back to where they were before. Mm -hmm. Okay. It was just a dip and they'll go back. You say, then what benefit was it? It's still hoping that when over here, mm -hmm. it's like being with you mm -hmm. is better than not being with you. I remember that when I was in the very middle of that, you were the one that listened to me. Right. Even if they bang right back up to where they were and that little dip, you were the one that listened to me. You cared about me. You should be compassion. That can, I've seen that happen a lot of times, by the way, that did eventually, as this began to fade over here, lead the person back to his or her spouse. Mm -hmm. I've seen that happen a lot. And yet understand that if it happens here, don't think, oh, okay, it's over. Mm. Here she's back. They're in a dip. But it, it, it's a dip that actually in the advantage of the marriage in the long run, even though it's going to frustrate you when they pop right back up to where they were. Hmm. Okay. So in the instance, going back to the divorce, we don't recommend that you file. If your spouse is trying to get you to file by being mean or doing things like that, we don't recommend that you take that bait. No, but again, you need to decide what's best for you. For example, mm -hmm. if you're going to be in financial ruin, if you don't, because your spouse has now gone crazy and accumulating all kinds of debt, mm -hmm. you may have to just to protect yourself from financial things that are going to happen out there. Or if, uh, if, if your children are in jeopardy in some fashion, hmm. I mean, there may be a reason that you need to divorce, but mm -hmm. as a general rule, we suggest that you don't, but we always suggest take care of yourself and yeah. take care of your kids if you have them. And therefore, if you have to, then you do that because you need to take care of you. Yeah. Let's talk about the kids for a minute. Okay. So a couple of questions that came in, um, one of them specifically, the other woman in this case, so it's the husband having an affair, the kids are older, they're in their 20s, they're angry at their dad, they don't want anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. Now the other woman is emailing the children, telling them that they are treating their dad terribly, that they need to be talking to him. What should the mom, the mom's reaching out saying, what do I encourage my kids to do? Should they respond? Should I let them stay silent? How does that work? I don't think mom should be telling a 20 year old what to do. That's a good point. Now she can be the listening, mm -hmm. caring. She can be the sounding board. They can bounce their ideas off of her. Mm -hmm. And, and you can suggest them things for them to think about. But if they're in their 20s, I'd be very careful about telling them what to do. Now, if they're telling you, we don't like that woman, it really makes us angry that she's contacting us about how we should be acting toward our dad after she's the one that pulled us away. She's got no business doing that. If that's what they feel, then they have the right to say that to her. Now, he, dad's probably going to react badly toward them if they do, because if, if he's in phase two, particularly, he's going to defend her at all costs. But they have the right to do that. They have the right to say, hey, listen, woman, leave us alone. Mm -hmm. And if you don't leave us alone, we're going to do whatever we have to do to make sure that you do leave us alone. So you block her on the Facebook, make sure she can't get your Twitter account to change your cell phone number if you need to. Yeah, and so the kids have a right to do that. I don't think you should be suggesting to them one way or the other what they do. Let them do what's honest for them. 
because they're in a different situation as the kids than you are as the spouse. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We have some other questions that have come in. One person is asking, she says, um, my husband and I have been separated. He's never sincerely apologized for his actions. And my children and I have been deeply hurt. In spite of all this, I've been tried to encourage my kids to continue a relationship and tell them how they feel, but they don't want to. My husband and I still talk a little bit, but we're living separate lives. Lately, he's coming once a week to mow the lawn, even though I haven't asked him to. Um, I asked him to show me how to do it myself, but he said not to worry about it, that he would take care of it. He also comes by and gives me flowers about every month or so. I'm not sure what to think of all of this. Is this normal behavior because he's feeling guilty or it could be that, or could it be that he's coming out of an affair, mm-hmm. the limerence? As you started the program, uh, people want to know why. Mm-hmm. Why did he do this? Why did you do that? If you try to figure out the why of every action, every word, every look, yep. <laughs> you're going to drive yourself crazy. Yep. Now, if you want to know why, just put it on Facebook because all those people know why. <laughs> people that don't know you, they don't know your husband, <laughs> and they'll tell you exactly why he's doing it. Mm-hmm. I hope you don't listen to that mm-hmm. because they're inserting their own selves into that, their own experiences or the experiences they've witnessed with others, not your experience. So why don't you just take it at face value? You say he hasn't apologized yet. Don't anticipate that he will. If you're still living apart, then... This man, uh, based on what you've written here, appears to be initially trying to restart some kind of relationship. Now, I'm not saying that that means he's trying to come back and be your husband at this point. I am saying that at least he's trying to stay in your life or the life of your kids or both. Coming back to cut the grass. Understand that men typically, and this is not true of every man, but it's generally true of men. Men typically indicate intimacy through actions, through things they do. The fact that he comes and cuts the grass for you, and you say, well, I'll cut it myself. He said, no, no, I'll take care of it. If you think about it in the way that men tend to think, now I can't tell you exactly about your husband because I don't know your husband, but that actually is a way of doing something for you, which is in the way the men think, is a thing of intimacy. The fact that about once a month he brings you those flowers, the same thing. You say, but he's not saying anything. Men tend not to be as verbal. Now, some men are extremely verbal like me, but men tend not to be as verbal. But the fact that he's doing those things, I look at that and go, awesome. I'm glad he is. Be kind, be appreciative. Mm -hmm. And maybe when he gets through cutting the grass, have some cold lemonade made and say, hey, uh, how about some lemonade? Have it set out there under the shade tree if he doesn't like coming in the house. Have a little table out there. And, And maybe the next time you sit out there and drink a cup of lemonade with him or a glass of lemonade with him. Don't try to get your kids to feel differently than what they feel. Encourage them to be honest and open with their emotions. You be their safety net, just like you're being. That's great. And when he brings you the flowers, very good. When he gives them to you, you might say something like, hmm, I think these will look really good on the dining room table. I've got just the perfect face for it. Here, tell me what you think. Do it while he's there. You don't have to go into a conversation. You don't have to expect anything from him. What you're just doing is help it go a little further, a little further, Mm -hmm. a little further. Now you say, but I want him to come in and tell me how sorry he is for what he did. Right now you're dating again. Mm -hmm. Just a little. Just a little. Think about it like that. Don't expect everything else from him. Just a little. Let it evolve. 
continue to do the right things, reinforce his behavior by positive reactions from you. And, and hopefully this will lead to sometimes sitting under that shade tree, drinking the lemonade or cold beer, if that's what he prefers. It, uh, he starts talking a little bit. Don't force it. Don't push it. Just let it happen. This seems to me to be evolving in the right direction. Don't push it. Mm -hmm. Don't push it. Let it happen. Be patient. It sounds like this guy might be worth rescuing and this might be the first part of that. Mm -hmm. You said that it's a little bit like dating, like you're dating a little bit. I would think it's more like flirting from yeah. what she said at this okay. point. Because it's, when think about it, when someone, back when you were single, maybe with your husband, when he was flirting with you, if he were to hand your, you flowers, your response would not be, what are these for? Yeah. Why did you bring me this? Your response would be, oh my goodness, thank you so much. And it also wouldn't be, well, what does this mean about our relationship? Because you're just flirting. <laughs> right, so, <laughs> right. That's very good. So that's more so where this is right now. All right, Joe, for the final question I have, a lot of people are saying and asking, well, what's the difference in me following this thing? Moving, working on my pies, practicing the smart contact, being kind and gentle, doing that versus enabling them to continue to have their affair and also know that I'll be here as a backup. Okay. First of all, don't ever say you're always going to be there. I'm mm -hmm. serious. Uh, actually, one woman told me a little over a year ago, I didn't realize how much I was uh, giving the message I was giving until he said, hey, if this other thing doesn't work out for me, I'll come back because you've made it plain. You'll take me back no matter what. I don't think it's a good idea that you give that message. I'll take you back no matter what. Enabling is when you're actually doing things to help him or her do the things they're doing. Don't do that. For example, if the person's living at home with you and, and they're leaving every night at 10 and coming back at, at 1 a.m., maybe you don't tolerate that kind of behavior. Now, we don't have time to explain that in great detail here. Uh, there's a thing called the valley that I don't have time to explain at all in this program. But there's some behaviors that you tolerate for a while if things are actually progressing and developing your relationship again. But there are some things you don't tolerate at all. There are definitely things you draw boundaries about. This can't happen. And if it does, this is the consequence that's going to occur. There's a thing called criteria. We say this must happen. And if it doesn't, here's the negative consequence. If it does, here's the positive consequence. So we're not saying enable. We're talking about here, you being a strong, powerful you that's stronger than anything he or she is doing. But we're not talking about you making it possible for them to do terrible things. We're saying that as they're doing the things they're going to do that you can't control anyway, that you continue to be that strong and powerful person. But you don't ever indicate, well, if you want to go see her, that's fine with me. I wouldn't do that unless you wanted to be over. And then say it like this, hey, if you want to go see her, fine with me. I'm out of here anyway. But not when you're doing the other things. You understand you don't, you don't encourage or, or reinforce bad behavior this is about you being the best you can be. It's not about you trying to control their behavior, either trying to stop them or to help them. They make their own decisions about that. We're talking about you making decisions about you. Mm -hmm. That's really, really good. So if you take anything away from this program, the first and most important thing is that watch the whole thing. 
there are so many things that we talked about. And if another part is we didn't even go into detail about every part of this that all works together into the bigger process of it. We didn't talk about smart contact. We didn't go into depth about pies. Uh, we didn't talk about the valley. There's this big system that's going on here and we just taught you this one little sliver of it in one part of the pie which again is why we encourage coaching from someone who's trained in this not from your friend down the street or the person on Facebook they people mean well but <laughs> I don't even know how to finish that sentence they give terrible advice they, <laughs> they, they do mean well they do, but they really mean well and also there's the people again who mean well but they don't know how to handle these kinds of situations so they tell you it's hopeless and that's not what you want either so again we encourage you to really listen to this whole thing to dive into the other resources we have but before you do any type of action with it we really encourage you to talk to someone who can know about your specific situation so that you don't end up making things worse what is, what's the saying an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure you don't want to have to already in the situation you're in to have even more cure that you have to go and and try and undo so we hope this has been really helpful for you it was something that people always have a lot of questions about so continue go back re-watch it contact us if you want more information about coaching you can call us at 866-903-0990 and we will be sure in our upcoming episodes i want to do one about pies and one about smart contact what do you think i do what you say you're the boss <laughs> i work for you i think those would be awesome shows awesome shows all right y'all have a great rest of your week and we'll see you here next monday have a good one